When I bow before the altar, offering Buddha a bunch of daffodils, the fragrance of the flowers fills the sleeves of my robe. I always love to read that poem by Yogin Senzaki. But it feels particularly poignant this evening when I'm unable to offer daffodils in person at the altar at Daiwasatsu. Thank you, Kimpu, for leading our commemorative service and to the residents for being so very present. And poignant too, because instead of holding Jukai for the 12 students who have been preparing, it would have been today. And instead of sitting together at the monastery for Senzaki session, we have had to move into the digital Dharma realm. But the full moon last night, the real nature of the universe, of our own true being is always shining. Life, death in the time of coronavirus continues. Most of us are sheltering at home, but many states and some countries are lifting restrictions. Even though here in the United States, there is no cohesive strategy in place and the death toll keeps rising. Indeed, it is a time of adversity with no end in sight. So how fortunate we are to have a practice that calls us to be steady in the midst of turbulence, to have courage in the midst of fear. And as Pema Chodron titled one of her books, to be comfortable 
with uncertainty. And to offer our loving empathy to all those who are grieving, who have lost family and friends. So our practice is really very basic and simple. We just return to the breath. Exhaling long, we become aware of everything that's going on, everything without exception. Accepting our innermost emotions with kindness, with tenderness. We can move into the wide open spaciousness of a mind at ease. With each exhalation, we can let go of the fear-based narrative. With each inhalation, a new freshness comes. The scent of spring, the renewal of vow. We open the window of our heart-mind. The natural rhythm of Zazen takes over. And I have to say this. Some of us will contract the virus and our lungs may no longer work. But we can silently recite Kanzeon. Becoming one with the Bodhisattva of compassion who hears all cries, even those that cannot be voiced. Nyogen Senzaki taught in your meditation, you must have nothing in front, nothing in back. Blot out your hopes for the future. 
cancel out your memories of the past. In this moment, there is no time, no space. There is only one eternal present. Zen calls this the moment of great death. Don't be afraid of it. You do not have to force yourself to enter into it. If you meditate faithfully, either counting your breaths or working on your koan, you will be there without self-consciousness, naturally and gracefully. So Nyobin Senzaki dedicated himself to this kind of simple and direct practice throughout a lifetime of great struggle and adversity. He manifested traits that have inspired generations of Americans and students. Patience, integrity, perseverance, humility, courage, and compassion. As I'm sure many of you know, as an infant, he was found by a monk next to the dead body of his mother. The year was 1876. The place was Kamchatka, a Russian peninsula off Japan's northernmost islands. And he was adopted by a shipbuilding family named Senzaki. But when he was five, his foster mother died. His adoptive grandfather, who was a Kegong scholar and Pure Land priest taught him the Chinese classics and had a profound influence on his spiritual development. But he too passed away when Yogen Senzaki was 16. So confronted by sickness, old age, and death, Senzaki decided to enter medical school. But he kept thinking of how his grandfather's congregants' offerings to the temple had supported them. Increasingly, he felt the only way for me to requite their kindness 
is to become a monk. So he dropped his medical studies and entered a local Soto Zen monastery at the age of 19. He was ordained on April 8th, Buddha's birthday, and given the name Nyogen, like a fantasy. Later, he studied under a Shingon priest, but it was when he met Son Chakuroshi that he knew he had found his true teacher. So he entered Son Chaku's monastery in Gakuji, one of the headquarters of the Rinzai Zen school. But before he could finish his training, he became ill and had to return home. But his monk's vow never faltered. He resolved to bring Buddha's loving kindness to everyone he met, particularly the children. So he started a school called the Mentor Garden. His village was poverty stricken. The Buddhist establishment had no use for his work. So he wrote to his teacher about his hopes to raise funds for the Mentor Garden in America. Arrangements were made for him to go on the same boat as Soen Shakuroshi and D.T. Suzuki in 1905. They would stay at the San Francisco home of Alexander and Ida Russell. Ida Russell was the first Zen student in America. And of course, this was Soen Shakuroshi's second trip in 1893, he had addressed the World Parliament of Religions in Chicago. But once again, Nyogen Senzaki fell ill, this time with an eye disease, trachoma, that delayed his travel. And when he finally reached the Russell's home, things didn't go well. And he was left in San Francisco to fend for himself. He had no money, no support, barely a word of English. And he worked at various odd jobs night and day, studying the language in the few hours he had between shifts. As his teacher had told him, he waited 17 years before saying a word about Zen, hiring a public space when he could afford it, and establishing a little Zendo in 1928. He moved to Los Angeles in 1931, where his first disciple, Shubin Tanahashi, became the Dharma link between him and a young poet monk 
in Japan named Soen Nakagawa. Deep spiritual friendship began immediately. But the years leading up to World War II made it impossible for them to meet in person. Letters, photographs crossed the Pacific Ocean along with their chanting and vows on Mandala Day each month. Soon after Pearl Harbor, the army rounded up all those of Japanese ancestry in America. Some 110,000 people and incarcerated them in internment camps. Senzaki spent three years at Heart Mountain, Wyoming, sharing a very small room with a family. There was no knowing how long the confinement and the war would last. All he could do was set up a little zendo in a corner of the room and sit faithfully as we are doing in our own time of no knowing. His poem opening words of Wyoming Zendo, written without the editing assistance of his disciple, Ruth Strout McCandless, conveys what it was like. The evacuation cramped Japs by heads into the Unite of Barracks. Fortunately, the monk could stay with a Buddhist family. He called his share of space Ekyo on a room of wisdom mirror. He suffered heat with the family in Santa Anita. He suffered cold with the family in Heart Mountain. He and the family and a number of Buddhists in the two places meditated together and recited sutras and studied Buddhism every morning. America gave the monk its alms, a single room today. He now reopens Tozen Zenkutsu, the meditation hall of the eastbound teaching. He had it 20 years in California, inviting many Caucasian Buddhists from all parts of world. He has to wait exclusively the Japanese Zen students to come in this snow-covered desert of internment, a Wyoming plateau. He has nothing to do with the trivialities of the dusty world. 
He rather prefers to sit alone, burning the lamp of Dhamma, than to receive any insincere visitors and waste time. Heart Mountain, Wyoming, December 20th, 1942. And on October 3rd, 1943, the day after I was born, he wrote this poem. Autumn came naturally to the exiled life. We commemorate again Bodhidharma, our patriarch four ways of conduct as he taught us to practice were carried by us during past 12 months. The seeds of Zen were planted deep and covered well with earth. Who knows and who cares what will happen tomorrow in this tricky plateau. Before long, cold clouds may cover us and the snowstorm may visit us with no effect to our equanimity. And then he gave the four ways of conduct taught by Bodhidharma. One, requite hatred with loving kindness. Two, live within the law of causation. Three, avoid unreasonable desires. And four, make Dharma the standard of life. So after all those years of corresponding and bowing to each other across the Pacific, in 1949, Soen Nakagawa was finally able to travel to the States. On April 8th, his ship landed in San Francisco, and the two of them spent six joyful months together. In 1955, <clears throat> Nyogen Senzaki made his one and only trip back to Japan accompanied by Ruth McCandless and another disciple. And they went to visit Soen Roshi, who had become abbot of Yutakuji by then. Once again, illness struck. Senzaki had to stay in bed while the others went to various important monasteries and on May 7th, 1958, 
exactly 62 years ago today, he passed away. So because of Senzaki's inconspicuous but fervent Dharma activity, all of us are sitting here this evening, scattered as we may be throughout the world. Each one of us is nowhere but in the right place, in the right time. Shinyu Suzuki Roshi, another pioneer of Zen in America said, to think because it is possible we will do it is not Buddhism even though it is impossible. We have to do it because our true nature wants us to. So, no matter how difficult our present circumstances may be, we must dream the impossible dream. As Edo Roshi loved to sing and have the valor and vow to accomplish it even though we don't know how. That's the only way we can requite Yogan Senzaki's Dharma life. So on this Senzaki commemoration evening at the end of our discussion. Let's dedicate our chanting of the great vows for all to those who have lost their lives during these past few months, including our Dharma friend, Mia Ihara, who passed away this morning. 